It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and the mobile app. Good to be with you. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You could also head to Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants are going to be traveling to Cleveland. They'll have joint practices on Thursday and Friday leading into Sunday's second preseason game. We'll get into that as well as what came out of a bunch of press conference yesterday in addition to a late trade that was orchestrated between the Giants and the Packers. So a lot to unravel, a lot to tackle. And Paul, I know you're jammed up, you're pumped up for these next 60 minutes. How's everything? Oh, doing well, Lance, especially since the Giants baseball brothers, the New York Yankees, have now vanquished the Red Sox, swept them yesterday, and have indeed moved into second place and are currently in a wild-card playoff spot, erasing a a 10-and-a-half game deficit. The baseball brothers of the football Giants are alive and kicking. It's a good day. Absolutely, and it's another example of how baseball is a law of average where you could start off slow, recover, team gets hot, they all of a sudden come back down to earth, and I think we're seeing that with respect to the American League East. We are not Yankees.com, in case you're just tuning in and confused. But, but they there are is our baseball brothers, you must yes, understand, correct. having well, played in Yankee Stadium absolutely. for all those that, years. That was what I was going to get to, so there are some crossover areas to at least – bring the Giants and the Yankees to the forefront. There's no doubt about that. But I think we got plenty to tackle in terms of the Giants. And let's start with the news that broke yesterday, well after Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. And that is the fact, Paul, that the Giants pulled off yet another trade. And this is now another cornerback that they're bringing into the mix. Josh Jackson from the Green Bay Packers, second-round pick in 2018. He comes to the Giants. Isaac Yadam goes to the Packers. Remember, they had acquired Yadam on September 3rd last year. So this is the second time in as many off-seasons that he is being traded. And it just goes to show you the Giants are still fine-tuning the back end of the roster, specifically in the secondary, always looking for ways to improve. But I think Josh Jackson is an example, Paul, of a player that I think needed a fresh start. You know, they were definitely putting him under the microscope over the course of this preseason, over the last few years in Green Bay. And sometimes a player, you put him in a new environment, it's just what the doctor ordered, and this may be one of those circumstances. Well, they really liked him coming out of Iowa when they drafted him in the second round back in the 18 selection process. And you have to figure, like, okay, he has a really good rookie season, starts half the year, double digits and passes defensed, shows a willingness to tackle, looks like the arrow's pointing up. Now, remember, who was there in 2018 in Green Bay, Lance? Patrick Graham. Correct. And so even though he was only the linebackers coach and not the defensive coordinator per se, he obviously knows a lot about Josh Jackson. And so he has seen him at his best. He has seen the potential that he can bring to the table. And I would have to assume that Patrick Graham had a lot of input into this deal. Now, 
Having said that, what happened subsequent to that in Green Bay? Uh, it didn't go well. Ja- Jackson, for whatever reason, could it have been conflicts with the coaching staff? Could it have been he he just couldn't get the mentality and the the, the you know the scrapbook right and the tape work right? I don't know. I have no idea what's wrong with him right now because I haven't talked to anybody in Green Bay. But what I do know is this. A second-round pick who showed a lot of potential as a rookie subsequently went through two subpar seasons during which he was benched, he was inactive. It just did not go well. So he had to get out of Green Bay if he was going to continue his NFL career. He now has a new lease on life with the Giants with a guy who has seen him at his best, who knows what he might be able to bring out of him, and we will see if the Giants can, in fact, try to you know bear the fruits of uh, of that research. He was also, by the way, with Blake Martinez when he was in Green Bay for sure. two seasons, too. So there's some familiarity in terms of the guy in the middle of the defense. You mentioned the connection to Patrick Graham. This is somebody that also has special teams experience in addition to playing corner. He's played 52% of the special team snaps. Yes. If you go back to 2019, that was his high. 40% as a rookie and then 33% last season. He was mainly used as a backup to Kevin King over the last few seasons. But as you mentioned, once again, this is somebody that has ties to your defensive coordinator on the team. And if there's anybody that I'm sure had some ideas about how to utilize him now that Patrick Graham is running his own scheme, because as you mentioned, he was the linebacker's coach when Josh Jackson was a rookie. So it wasn't his scheme. Now, Patrick Graham, I'm sure, has some ideas about how he could utilize Jackson. And the Giants, once again, they're not bringing in Jackson and saying he's going to be a starter. They're looking for ways, though, to bolster who the fourth, the fifth, the sixth cornerback is. And that's why they're making some tweaks. They're also looking to bolster their special teams units. I think that has been certainly apparent by not just the acquisition of Jackson, but most important, Keon Crossan, who has ties to Joe Judge, because they were together when Crossan was a rookie with the New England Patriots. He since then was traded to the Houston Texans. Now he comes over to the Giants, a speed guy, a guy that's going to be really good in terms of coverage and Remember, we've been talking about this all throughout last season. One of probably the most notable losses, Paul, for the Giants was Cody Core, because Cody Core was one of those glue guys on special teams who contributed to every unit, and he reminded me a lot of Dwayne Harris, if you remember, who was a guy that you knew you could rely on game in and game out. When you lose a glue guy like that, you don't necessarily find one guy that's going to fill the void. you got to sometimes find three or four guys. And I think they're looking for that glue guy, and maybe they found that in a guy like Keon Crossan. But you are listening to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see whether or not we can get Paul back up and running. We're talking about, obviously, some of the new additions to the Giants roster with respect to special teams as well as the secondary. And this is a very fluid situation. With respect to the Giants roster, this is a situation where you're going to see roster moves all throughout the finalization of the 53-man group because this is what teams are doing right now. Remember, they had until 4 p.m. Eastern yesterday to get the rosters down to 85. So everybody needed to cut five players, and the Giants did make some changes They were able to put a few guys on IR. They cut ties with Alfred Morris, the veteran running back. And one of the things that at least most people anticipate is, A, you're going to have some teams that let go of veterans to give them an opportunity to latch on with other teams. 
especially if they had no anticipation of them staying on the 53-man roster. So that's one trend that you're going to see. And then the other trend is maybe you have a young guy on the roster and you just don't think that that young person is somebody that fits into your plans, whether it be on the roster or the practice squad. So as a result, you cut ties and see whether or not they could jump aboard onto another team. So, you know, those are, to me, the two schools of thought that are playing out right now in the National Football League, and the Giants are no different. But what's different about this period now is the fact that we went from 90 to 53. And previously, we had 90 to 75 to 53. Now they've added in some additional cuts. And while I would argue I don't know necessarily if it has a great deal of value, I think it's more of letting some veterans and younger guys, if they really can't find the spot on their current roster— Give them a chance before the preseason and training camp wraps up so that they could join forces with another team. So it looks like we've got Paul Dottino back up and running. Paul, we were talking about, before I jumped into the structure of the preseason, I was setting you up in terms of Keon Crossan and what he could do because of his versatility on special teams. Well, Crossan last year in Houston had 12 combined tackles on special teams, which was tied for sixth most in the National Football League. So there is no question that he is being brought here to bolster the special teams. I don't think there's any doubt about that at all. Jackson, I don't have his production numbers off of specials. I'm sure that's a component here. As you mentioned, he has played some special team snaps. So it's got to be something that they have considered. But I think, to be frank with you, I look at Aaron Robinson. If this is not just a... Uh, a special teams move, but if it's more of a, a depth at cornerback move, because I don't think they're going to be able to count on Robinson. And the fact that he hasn't been able to do anything on the field, as every day goes by, Lance, you have to think more and more that the IR list is going to become a bigger possibility. Well, the more time that a player is unavailable in training camp and they're not out there, clearly the coaching staff doesn't have an opportunity to evaluate them. So I think that's one red flag, and you have to start moving forward thinking about your depth. So I'm wholeheartedly with you there. You always then can consider the pup list, too, as a possibility. But yeah, as far as Aaron Robinson is concerned, the core muscle surgery that we've brought up on this show has limited him. On top of that, Paul, he's a rookie, so he has no NFL experience, and he hasn't been exposed to any gameplay. So you're going to want to bring in somebody with a little bit more experience who you feel good that can maybe slide in in a pinch and also who you can at least evaluate over the next few weeks. The worst thing that could happen to any young player, more so than a veteran. So, for example, I don't want to get too off topic, but to me there's a distinct difference between Kyle Rudolph being sidelined and him missing time versus an Aaron Robinson or Kadarius Toney because Kyle Rudolph has been in the NFL for years, okay? Him missing practice time, him missing a preseason game is not necessarily detrimental to the well-being of your team. Granted, he still needs to build some chemistry with Daniel Jones. I'll give you that. But as far as experience, I don't think that's necessarily a make-or-break type of situation. But as far as the rookies, yeah, you want to get them some work. You want to give them some familiarity, not just with the quarterback or the opposition that they're going up against. You want to make sure that they understand the speed of the NFL is a lot different, Paul, than what they're going to experience or what they have experienced, I should say, on the collegiate level. Yeah, we are in complete agreement, Lance. I don't don't think there's any doubt about that. And quite frankly, we also have to throw Ellison Smith into that same boat. Sure. He has done very, very little, you know, with the trainers on the side out of the field during training camp. And again, as that clock continues to tick, 
you have to wonder about Smith and Robinson being more redshirt rookies than anything else. I mean, that's just, that's just a fact. They are going to be so far behind when they even get the opportunity to get back on the field. Is it even worth bringing them onto the 53 at that point? All fair questions. Because you have some options with respect to assuming guys pass their waivers. You can put them on the practice squad. You can IR them. And you can put them on IR, remember, once they make the 53-man roster. That's the big thing. The question is, can you put them on the 53-man roster, meaning you could get rid of everybody else and then place them on IR if they're not ready to go? Then this way they only miss the first three weeks of the season. They're eligible to come back week four. That could be an option. But remember, in order to do that, that means you have to cut somebody else who maybe you were considering to keep who would not make the 53-man roster. So you know that, to me, is going to be something interesting to monitor what the Giants do with some of the players that Paul was mentioning, the Aaron Robinsons, as well as the Ellerson Smiths, because it's not necessarily just how you feel about the player. It's also a numbers game with respect to your roster. And the last thing you want to do is cut ties with a young guy. Somebody else scouted them, had film, they grabbed them, and then all of a sudden you're not putting them back on the practice squad. And that's, to me, the biggest challenge, especially now that teams have more film to study guys with because there's a preseason. So all of these things, Paul, really change the dynamics in terms of the evaluation of players compared to what we were talking about at this time last season. Well, it becomes counterproductive, Lance, because now if you try to rush the rookie out there when he's truly not ready, not only have you done him a disservice, but you've also done yourself a disservice because you're removing somebody else from your roster at their expense. Sure. And so it's a double whammy. So it really, I, I just, I'm just looking at these two guys in particular, and I'm just shaking my head and saying it's going to be quite a while before we see them. And, and really, I don't know how you can count on it at all. I mean, I mentioned to Joe Judge the other day uh, when I was talking to him about this particular issue. And he said, look, the only thing we can, in terms of the playbook and how we get them ready mentally, well, the only thing we're going to be... Sounds like we're losing Paul there again, Lance. Yeah, it looks like Paul is coming in and out. I, I was trying to see if we could ride the storm. Yeah, I know. I thought we <laughs> hearing him. <laughs> and we don't know whether or not Mother Nature is having something to say. Technology. You know, I know that, you know, we want to hear his analysis and his breakdown. Some would argue maybe we don't need as much as Paul Dettino, but we're not going to go there. We're not going to uh, psychoanalyze him no, today. Uh, we'll see if we can work those things out and get him up and running. But we are focusing on the ins and outs of the Giants roster. And Paul was talking about really that catch-22 in all seriousness about when you have a young player and he's battling injuries, what do you ultimately do with that player? There's multiple options that we were talking about, but do you try to hold on as much as you can to keep them on the 53-man roster? Do you roll the dice and maybe having them pass through waivers so you could put them and store them on the practice squad? There's a lot that goes into that. And remember, the Giants, the whole point of them investing in a lot of these young players through the draft over the last few years is they want to build up their depth chart, but they want to build up their youth movement. They want to have guys who they develop over the last few years so they can keep this nucleus together as opposed to always having to tap into free agency. And not to get off topic, but this even goes into something that John Mara spoke about when he was interacting with the media and he was asked about you know, why has it been a bit troubling to solidify the offensive line, maybe some other positions. And he said, hey, it's a combination of missing on some players in free agency and also missing on some players in the draft. So 
That's why you don't want to lose these young players because you want to be able to develop them and groom them because they're so valuable, A, from a financial standpoint, since they're on rookie contracts. That's number one. But number two, when you have a young group that plays together, you're not worried about bringing in constantly new faces and new names. And whether it be Jason Garrett or Patrick Graham, they can build continuity on that side of the ball. So that is so critical in terms of making sure that these young players are comfortable and ready to go. And the last thing you want to do, and this was something that Paul was talking about, is you don't want to rush them on the field when they're not 100% because they can re-aggravate an injury, and then that'll set them back even more. That's number one. And then number two, if you're not putting them on the field when they're 100%, they're not practicing full go. So it sort of defeats the purpose of actually having them out there. That's one of the reasons why, and Joe Judge has been pressed a lot and asked about, Kadarius Tony, and one of the things that he mentioned yesterday during his press conference with respect to Kadarius Tony was the fact that Tony was dealing with COVID, and there's a lot of players, not just on the Giants roster, across the NFL that have had different experiences when dealing with COVID. You don't have one blueprint. You don't bring back one guy after a week, and now we will have Paul Dottino returning. As I was talking about Paul the ins and outs of roster decisions. But one of the things that is somewhat connected to what you were bringing up was Kadarius Tony, for example. And Tony's a little bit different because Tony's not necessarily dealing with a major injury, but he was also slowly recovering from COVID. And I thought Joe Judge made an important point where he said, hey, the way that, for example, Will Hernandez recovers from it is very different than Kadarius Tony or Graham Gano. You can't treat all of the players on one straight even line and assume that their recovery time is going to be identical from the other guy. Correct. I think when we were breaking up earlier, that's what I was trying to describe, that Joe Judge had said directly to me that each of these guys are a separate case. And one thing that you do have to do, and this is very specific, give them small bites because there's no way you can afford to overwhelm them. Then you've lost them completely. You'll never get anything out of them right away. You're going to have to give them small, small bites and say, okay, listen, this is the package that we'd like to get you involved in and concentrate on trying to get them to do that. Because to overwhelm them with the full playbook, given the fact that they're so far behind in general as a rookie class, is just not productive. Yeah, and that to me is the challenge that a lot of teams right now are facing because, once again, there's more exposure to younger players this year, and then there's always the challenge about how you go about making decisions with respect to players who are on the young side that were hurt. So that's some of the things that the Giants are working through as they now head to Cleveland. Let's move there because that's obviously the other big piece of news. They're going to have joint practices with the Browns on Thursday and Friday leading up to Sunday's preseason game. And, you know, one of the things that Joe Judge has emphasized, specifically in his presser yesterday, as well as leading up to this, was the relationship, Paul, that he has with Kevin Stefanski, going back to their days in high school football in Philadelphia, And then, of course, Bill Belichick, because he worked on the Patriots staff. And the reason why you want to have a joint practice with a team that is run by a coach that you have an established relationship with is 
you script out how you go about practice, even when it's with another team. And if you trust the other coach, you know they're going to send the same message to their team that you're sending to your team and that you don't want, at the end of the day, anybody to get hurt. You also don't want to waste anybody's time. You want to have a productive practice. And that's why it's no coincidence that they're having the joint practices with two coaches that have very strong ties to Joe Judge. Well, the big deal here is the trust between the two. And this is one of the reasons why the Giants not only pick Cleveland but pick New England to have these joint practice sessions. Because the way this thing goes, and one of the writers asked about this yesterday because they obviously didn't know, these coaches actually pre-plan exactly how these sessions are going to be. And, for example, one coach will say to the other coach, listen, we need to work on running plays in the red zone. So can I get a section of those plays? And, okay, fine, that'll be period number three. Then the other coach will say, all right, period number four, I really want to work on my interior pass defense with my safeties and my slot guy. Can, can I get some of those? Okay, great. Let's make that period four. And so there's a cooperative effort with each of the coaches to specifically design the joint practices in areas that they need. And that's why it's called a controlled session because the stuff has been predetermined. It's already been choreographed like a fine, finely tuned ballet in terms of what they're going to do. It is not like a preseason game. When in a preseason game, they're actually playing a mock game and trying to do things under live game conditions. That is not what these joint practices are about. These coaches have very specific areas of emphasis that they want to see, and they set things up predetermined so that they can see the specific areas that they want to concentrate on. And that's why they're so valuable, because they don't want to once again just sit around and stare at each other for two hours. They want to be able to work on the issues that maybe they saw rise out of the previous preseason game or during practice. So, you know, that's why there's so much planning that is put into this. Joe Judge even said that he was going to be talking to Kevin Stefanski late yesterday Correct. to just sort of go over the game plan about, Correct. hey, this is what we plan on doing on Thursday and Friday. So, you know, sometimes the game plan can change, Paul. On Monday, you map out practice and you say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And then maybe all of a sudden, Tuesday and Wednesday, new issues arise and you say, hey, Let's tweak this. So, you know, that's also the benefit of having an established relationship with the other coach. Well, I would think that in this particular case, one of the things that Joe Judge is going to ask Stefanski to do is, can you send some extra heat at my offensive line? I mean, sure. let's not kid ourselves. This is an area that the Giants are going to need a lot of work in and need a lot of time to evaluate. And when you look at the Browns, huh, they got a pretty good front. So it makes perfect sense that Judge would want those guys to be tested. So I guarantee you, he has told Stefanski, make sure we do something involving your defensive front because I want to put some heat on my guys. I want to raise the bar and see if they can meet it. And I think this is an overall good matchup for the Giants joint practice-wise because the Browns have a lot of talent across the board. I know you focused on the offensive line, and I'm with you there, but I think everybody on this roster, top to bottom, is going to get some challenges. Cleveland revamped its secondary based on who they brought in over the course of the offseason. They brought in two guys from the L.A. Rams, specifically the safety, John, John Johnson the third, and then cornerback Troy Hill. They added up front 
with Jadevian Clowney in addition to Malik Jackson, and they also already have Miles Garrett, so your point is well taken about them being able to provide some pressure on the offensive line, but there's guys on both sides of this ball, and then, of course, you got Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. You got Nick Chubb. You got Kareem Hunt. So this is going to be a good litmus test, Paul, overall for the Giants, leading into the preseason game, of course, but they should be able to get some real good quality work from all positions over these next two days. There's no question, and that's why this is so important to Joe and why even though these grades, these joint practice grades, won't carry as much weight as the preseason games necessarily, they are still going to be extremely helpful and be much more important than just the practice grades that we've seen out of East Rutherford. We talk about this all the time. When roster decisions are made, while the preseason games are televised and everybody's always looking for production out of the preseason games, they're evaluating them more closely, you could argue, during practice within a Giants practice and also, of course, when the Giants practice against other teams, which you're going to see over the next two weeks. So sometimes a guy, he may not wow you in a preseason game, but he certainly could stand out during the practice session. And then when you look at the 53-man roster and you're like, hmm, I wonder why this guy made it, more often than not, it's probably because he was a more consistent player, Paul, during the course of his practice reps than necessarily going out there and putting up monster numbers within a preseason game. Oh, there's no doubt. And I think one of the other things that we want to make sure people understand, too, is that no matter what we talk about during the course of these practices, and obviously we've all put out our our practice notes on Twitter and the practice reports and things that that, uh, Dan and John will write up on Giants.com. Look, everything that we see, yeah, that's fine. That's stuff that we see with the naked eye. But the, the bottom line is, when you know people say, well, offense won today, defense won today, what does that really mean? Not a whole lot. Because sure. the truth of the matter is, these players are being evaluated on an individual basis. That Those individual keys, those grades that are coming out in the coach's room, when, when, he, when they sit down and they're grading each player every single day, Those are the grades that really matter because this entire camp, as it is every summer, is an exercise really in trying to identify your 53 guys. This is not about the team as a whole and, oh, defense needs to win today and the defense has to get better today. This is more about identifying who your guys are going to be. In a way... I don't, I don't know how I can say this, Lance, except it's not big-picture stuff. This is very detailed individual stuff because eventually when you got your 53 narrowed down, now you look at the big picture and say, okay, what does our defensive unit look like? That's why, you know, I have to tell you, the other thing that just rings so obvious to me is that because of today's game, the way the rules are, the way the game is designed, and the way that teams have to make up their rosters, you can't have the old-time philosophy of Bill Parcells who went into the preseason and said, you know what, yeah, I do want to evaluate my guys, but I also want to show them and make them feel what winning habits are about. Parcells wanted to win two-thirds and three-fourths of his preseason games because he thought that there was a mentality to winning. And if you taught guys in the summer 
that this is good. This is how we win. Here's an example of what it feels like to win if you do what I say, if you follow the veterans who are out there doing what they do. Bill used to really believe that that was an important ingredient into having a successful regular season. You can't do that today. The way the game is designed today, the preseason truly has to be an evaluation for your 53. You can't build as much of that big-picture team stuff that you were able to have years ago. It's just not possible. And, and look, that's one of the many things that aren't possible anymore. Bill Parcells could not coach today, not with the sensitivities that you have in today's game. <laughs> well, times have definitely changed. But the other thing I was going to add to the big difference is, given the injury risk, not to say that there was an injury risk back then, but the technology, the advancement of sure. treatment and all of that, they're not going to put players out simply so that they could build a winning culture, which is what you're talking about, especially if that means they could lose a guy for half the season. I just don't think teams are willing to take that risk, Paul, compared to what went on during Bill Parcells' day. Well, they can't. Why? Because of free agency and the salary cap. That dreaded salary cap again lurks its ugly head because you're in a situation now where if you get one of your guys hurt, okay, You are in deep, deep trouble because if he's one of your higher-paid guys, your salary cap gets crushed, and that's that's the double penalty. You don't just lose that guy because he's hurt. Now we don't have him available to us. No, you now get your salary cap crushed, and the chances of you going out and getting even a comparable player who's half as good as that guy is nil and none. You're going to have to pick up some guy on the street who probably is a third or fourth string caliber guy, and so you get a double penalty. So that's another reason why the preseason games are terribly watered down. Again, that salary cap, it always comes back to that because that has done so much to change the game. The financial repercussions of the National Football League. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You can also use hashtag GiantsChat. On Twitter, a reminder, limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $200. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience. Watching Giants games at world-class concerts in 2021 has a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or you can visit Giants.com suites for more information. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Good to have you aboard as we have been focusing on some of the Giants' recent transactions, looking ahead to their joint practices with the Cleveland Browns. Now, I know, Paul, on yesterday's episode, you had reviewed the majority of the press conferences, but I do want to highlight a few things that I thought were interesting that maybe you didn't get to on yesterday's program because we had a lot of people talk from the front office, from the coaching staff, as well as, of course, the players. And one of the things that came up, considering the Giants are going to be going up against the Cleveland Browns, was revisiting the Odell Beckham trade. And Dave Gettleman was asked about it, as well as a few other individuals associated with the Giants organization. And when you look back, and this is why it's so important for a number of years to go by, when you look at what the Giants got in return, and 
what they've contributed, and also I would argue what other teams have had to settle for when they've traded away star wide receivers. For example, like Julio Jones, the recent trade. That deal, okay, from a comparison standpoint, does not look too bad. And that's why it's so important to wait for a few years to go by. Lance, you broke up there, so I didn't hear everything that you said. I apologize. Not a problem. Well, what I was getting at, Paul, if you hear me crystal clear right now. I do hear you now. Okay. I was talking about one of the things that was brought up during the press conference yesterday, given the fact that the Giants are going to go up against the Browns and one of their former players, Odell Beckham, and Sterling Shepard was reflecting on the fact that he works out with him in the offseason. But Dave Gettleman was asked about when you look back at that trade, what do you think? And he now has a few years to monitor what transpired, especially with the guys that the Giants received and what they've been doing. And everybody who was acquired in that trade through the draft, as well as Jabril Peppers, certainly has contributed. But the point I was making at is why it's so important for a number of years to go by as opposed to just judging a trade on the surface. Because now you look a few years back, when you look at other wide receivers who were traded, and what teams got back in return in comparison to the Giants, and also who the Giants received and what they've contributed— All I'm saying is, overall, not that bad of a trade. It was a really good trade. I mean, consider Peppers and Lawrence, and then consider the money that they were able to clear out under the cap, even though they took that initial dead cap hit. Uh, There's no doubt that the Giants won that trade. I thought they did then. Uh, Most did not believe me, but I thought they won it right at the beginning. It became apparent when other receivers were traded for even less sure. than what yeah. the Giants got. You had to understand that Gettleman had won the trade. And now, when you look at it even years later, I, I think it's even more apparent. But yet, I don't see anybody who ripped Dave Gettleman for that deal apologizing to him or even backtracking. Uh, they seem to just like want to smash this guy. But, hey, whatever. Bottom line is this. Um, Odell Beckham Jr., because of his injury history, which has continued during his tenure in Cleveland, you know, has to be considered a guy who is probably never going to reach his full potential and never provide you the production per dollar that he should have when he came out of school. Well, I think part of that is the injuries. That of course, a role, it's, a, right? it's a huge part of it. Of course, in terms of the evaluation of a player. I wouldn't say somebody's career is over yet. So I didn't say let's it's see over. what happens. No, I'm not saying that, but, but, I, but I wouldn't you know, rule a career overall, I guess, at this point with respect to a player. Hall of Fame talent when he came out. I think we all saw it. A Hall of Fame talent when he came out. But the way things have gone to this point, it's going to be pretty hard for him on the second half of his career to produce Hall of Fame numbers after the kind of injuries that he's gone through. I mean, that's just just a fact. Uh, You know, Lance, I don't see how he can be what he was given all of the serious injuries that he's gone through. We're not talking about hangnails here. He's had some pretty nasty stuff. Well, and that's why I think it'll be interesting to see can he put together a string of three to four seasons, let's say, where he stays on the field for 15 to 16 games because he did that in 15 and 16. And then, unfortunately, from 17 to the present day, with the exception of 2019, when he did play in all 16 games, he's had seasons where he played four games, he played seven games, he played 12 games. And durability and availability is something we always bring up on this program. But if you're going to take it to the extent of Hall of Fame status, yeah, I mean, you have to play a high volume of games to be able to get those numbers to a level where they're consistent. And that, unfortunately, is what's held him back. 
It's not a question of talent with respect to Odell Beckham. It's Without a, a question doubt. of availability and reliability on the field. Without a That's doubt. the million-dollar question. No so, doubt. And, and, and I think, unfortunately, you know, when, again, you have the economic situation the way it is in the league, and you have a guy who has two or three outstanding years, and then there's a prerequisite that says, okay, you, now you're going to have to wind up paying him the value of his other competitive-type players at his position – well, now you got to squeeze your salary cap and say, all right, well, the market says we got to pay him this. And that's, you know, again, this all comes down to the economics of the game, which then make things a little bit ugly and put you in a very risky situation because if the guy is unable to stay on the field, you get double penalized. That's just the way it is. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. That is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's open up the phone lines as we've been covering a variety of topics related to training camp and the upcoming joint practices with the Cleveland Browns. Terrell is in Atlanta, and he joins us right now here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Terrell? Nothing much. How are you guys doing today? Hi. We're doing very well. What's on your mind? Uh, I was just listening to Dave Gettleman's uh, press conference yesterday, and it made me wonder. I just wanted to ask you guys a question. Uh, what are the three best moves you think he's made and the three worst moves you think he's made? And I'll take it off there. All right, Terrell. Appreciate the phone call. Well, if you're talking about some of the moves that have really helped turn things around, I think you got to look at free agency last year, Paul. When you talk about the additions of James Bradbury and Blake Martinez, I mean – how can anyone complain about what those two players provided for a defensive unit that you knew had to pull a 180? And then when you look at their durability and then what they provided last season, I put that right near the top of the list. Well, it's pretty hard to ignore the signing of Logan Ryan. It's pretty hard sure. to ignore the trade for Leonard Williams. I mean, you know, to, to limit that list to three would be pretty hard to do because he's made so many outstanding moves. Now, Dave has also made some, by his own admission and by John Mara's admission, uh, he's also made some moves that just did not work out well at all. In fact, fell flat. I mean, look at, look at uh, Kareem Martin. Look at uh, Stewart. Look at uh, Morrow. You know, uh, Golden Tate, I would say, probably didn't work out as well as they wanted to either. You know, um, there has certainly been, been ones that didn't, didn't go well as well. I mean, uh, look, that's the thing. There's nobody, nobody, even the Hall of Fame front office guys, don't have a ledger that's only positive. I mean, if you're a GM in this league, you're going to have positives and negatives. There are going to be lists on both sides. There's no way you're going to have a full 100% positive ledger. It just, it, it's impossible. Well, that's why the draft is so important, because if you do slip up on a free agent move, maybe you can absorb that hit because of what you get in the draft. So that goes without saying. Now, he was actually asked about the 2018 draft class, because... Dave has been on the record, and I think most of us here on this program would agree with those sentiments because, to me, draft grades are absolutely ridiculous when they give them out the night of the draft, as if you know exactly what a guy's going to do immediately after he gets drafted and he hasn't played one NFL snap. But he was specifically asked about the 2018 draft, and he was right. asked about Saquon Barkley, and he said he does not regret selecting Saquon Barkley despite the fact that he tore his ACL, and I would agree with those sentiments. I don't think you can all of a sudden start regretting a draft because once again I've brought this up many times Paul 
do you really think anybody within this Giants organization, when they took Saquon Barkley, they anticipated, yeah, a few seasons into his career, he's going to tear his ACL in week two? Come on. I mean, let's not be silly. You can't have a crystal ball to predict that. He mentioned Will Hernandez, bounce back season this year, an important season, final year of his rookie deal. Lorenzo Carter, unfortunately, got hurt last year with the Torrey Achilles, but was showing some positive flashes. B.J. Hill's been a consistent contributor. He's not necessarily an every-down guy, but he's a guy that's been in the rotation. And then Kyle Loletta and R.J. McIntosh are no longer on the team. They just parted ways with McIntosh. Now, Loletta was a fourth-round pick. McIntosh was a fifth-round pick. They did not have any picks beyond the fifth round in that draft. So, you know, you could say clearly the jury is still out, Paul, with a few of the guys from the 2018 draft class, but the reason why the jury is still out is mainly health issues Correct. more so than anything else. No, there's no doubt. I mean, look at it. His first four picks in that draft are still with the team. Fourth and fifth rounders, not. The first three guys are in all likelihood starters in Barkley, Hernandez, and Carter. Uh, I think we all believe they're going to start week one this year. I mean, again, pending Barkley's health. But I think we believe that. And B.J. Hill's a rotational player. There's nothing wrong with that draft. And that was his point. His point was that the majority of that class is still on the roster with an opportunity to contribute. And now, once again, the top three guys, critical years for all three. Sure. Because the fact that they're either coming back from injury or in Hernandez's case, it was more of COVID. You want to see those guys stay on the field and be consistent contributors. So it's show me time for three of those guys in particular. But most teams with the turnover rate in the National Football League, Paul, if you were to say you still have four guys from a 2018 draft class on your roster, that's not necessarily a bad thing because their teams, man, with the way they turn over the roster, you know, sometimes you'll be lucky if two years removed from the draft, you still have guys on your roster, especially if maybe there was a change within the front office. Let's head back to the phone lines. Phil is in North Carolina joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Phil? Yeah, hi, guys. Thanks. Hi. Appreciate your show. Hey, um, so um, I wanted to comment on the 2018 draft class because that was a um, sore subject. But before I, I say that, I, I, I'd like to, for the record, say I was in favor of the Odell trade. I thought we got, at the time, good value uh, whenever you can get draft picks and, and so forth and a, and a good player like Pepper's. Um, I was in favor of that, and uh, so I'm glad it. I think it's worked out well, and, uh, uh, and so I'm still my position still holds firm. Um, the 2018 draft class, you know, I I was on the record from the beginning, and then still am that you know I didn't see the logic of drafting a running back number two and. I I don't propose ever really ever doing that, uh, you know. Especially our, you know, I can probably rank from giant history, you know, our second round, third round, and later round running backs are the the greatest in team history, not our first round picks. And there's been many we've lit, we've had many first round picks that uh, uh, running backs have kind of flamed out. Not saying. Rodney Hampton was a first-round pick. There. You know that, right? Yeah, I know. T- Tiki was a two. I'm older than you. I'm T- older than you, Paul. But, well, Tiki's a two. Tiki's, Tiki's a two, a and Rodney was a one. I, yeah, I said Tiki. Well, Tiki's better than Rod, right? <laughs> so, yeah, he had a long, he had a longer you know, career. That is true. That yeah, is true. There's, there's I, no, I think, there's no doubt about it. 
I think the one thing to keep in mind about the 2018 draft, and again, circumstances are 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 at play here, but Darius Geis was was a guy who a lot of people coming out of LSU thought was going to be a superstar back. And for those who did not want Barkley in the first round, the thinking was from most of these folks, oh, you'll be able to get Geis in round two and he's going to be a superstar back. Well, it turned out Washington did draft Geis in round two. And he's out of the league now because of a variety of circumstances, some of which have nothing to do with what's on the field. So that didn't exactly right. work there's, out there's, well for them. You know? Yeah, no, there's exceptions. So, I mean, oh, yeah. I, I'm just adamant about it. But, uh, but, and, and, but I think the thing that I'm, I'm probably, you know, injuries are, you can't really account for that. But the one thing that I'm a little upset about Saquon is that, you know, he's not a good uh, pass blocking uh, back. And he's a big dude. You know, and and I wish he had a little bit more Ahmad in him. You know, uh, uh, you know, for you know, Ahmad would would man, you you, you that guy gave everything. You know what he, though? Uh, and, and let, let me let me propose something to you. You remember now, and you're right. Ahmad Bradshaw, man, packed a lot of pop for his his, his size. He was really good at it. Dave Meggett, in terms of pound for pound. He was as physical a blitz picker-upper as you're ever going to find in this league, pound for pound. Now, Tiki got really good at it later in his career. The first few years of his career, he wasn't playing much. He was a third down back. And you know what? He couldn't pick up a blitz worth a damn. He was not good at it at all. In fact, he showed a reluctance to me on the field to want to do it. And then over time, as they cured his fumbleitis, they also turned him into a good blitz picker-upper. And obviously, you and I both agree that the second half of Tiki's career was totally different than the first half, and you could certainly argue that he could make a case for the Hall of Fame. So to right. say no, to I, say I that totally you know, yeah. so to you know, so Barkley Barkley was ahead of Tiki at the same stage of his career as a running back. The question with Barkley is going to be, can he have the longevity that Tiki wound up having, and can he become more of a blocker in the backfield when necessary, just like Tiki did? I don't know that we know the answers to those two questions. True, well, true. I'll, I'll give you that. Time, time does change things. But, you know, I'm just saying I am disappointed at, at where he is with that blocking now. You know, I like a little nastiness in the backs and and uh, and on the line and so forth. So that's my that's my big thing on the 2018 is that you know I would have liked the guard. I think at that you know uh, Nelson. Yeah, you talking about uh, Quentin Nelson. Yeah, I, I would have liked the guard. Imagine if we had that dude. <laughs> so, man, I mean, we would have a different discussion on the offensive line. So. Anyway, appreciate you guys. Thank you, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. All right, Phil. Appreciate the phone call. Now, remember, I, I think the other thing to note with Saquon Barkley is it's more of a weapon as opposed to a running back. If you were to take a conventional running back with the number two overall pick, I think there's more to debate there, meaning a guy that is just going to be on the field for first and second down, is not a threat out of the backfield, doesn't have game-changing type of playmaking ability. But Saquon is of the Christian McCaffrey type of build where you bring him in because he's a weapon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So, you know, that I think is more of the mindset because, you know, when the last caller started referencing other Giants running backs or just when you associate with him the label of running back, I just, I don't think it does him justice. To me, they took a weapon with the number two overall pick. Unfortunately, he's dealt with the injury bug, but you could say that about any player. You don't know that that's going to happen, but it wasn't the mindset of the Giants are taking a running back at two. They're taking an offensive weapon who could do a variety of different things. Let's put him out on the field, get him out in open space, and watch what he could do. And he certainly did that as a rookie. Unfortunately, since his rookie year, there's been some injuries that have held him back. And, and that's, that's a, been, yeah. to be the biggest stumbling I, I'm with you, Lance, because you usually think that the guy's going to come out of the box, and if he's that good as a rookie, you think there'll be improvement over the course of his career because yeah. he will adapt, he will learn, he will gain experience, and craftiness, and in some ways he'll get better, and in some ways, obviously, he will deteriorate. But on the whole, you'd like to believe a guy like Emmett Smith. See, here's the thing. I, I laugh when people rip on Dave and they say, well, running backs, huh? they only last two or three years. Okay, tell Emmett Smith that, that he was only going to have a two-year career. Tell Franco Harris he was only going to have a two-year career. You know, tell Frank Gore he was only going to last two or three years in the league. How do you know the guy's only going to be in the league for no, two or no three idea. years? Yeah. You have no idea. And if the guy is that great of a player and you, as you say, you see him as a weapon, you take him and you say, well, hey, all things being equal, he has just as much chance to be an 8, 9, 10, 12-year pro as he does being a two-year pro. And it's like if he's that special and that talented – there's going to be a ton of stuff we're going to be able to do with him. Now, the bad news is, at this point, we've seen the best of Barkley as a rookie, and there has not been an improvement or an acceleration or or a more productive type of Barkley because of the ankle and then because of the knee. Now, if, if, and it's a big if, we get that. The world is full of ifs. That's what we have. We have ifs as many, we have as many ifs in this world as we do grass blades and trees, Okay. But if Saquon Barkley is able to rehab to the extent that Jamal Charles and Adrian Peterson did, well, then he's got more Pro Bowl seasons left in those legs. And for the Giants' sake, they need that because that's what will make, ultimately, Dave Gettleman's pick worthwhile. Sure, because you're going to add more value in the long run as opposed to what happened in the short term. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jason's in Connecticut joining us. What's happening, Jason? Hi, how you guys doing? Hi. Doing right, Jason. What do you got for us? Thanks for taking my call. I have um, just one, uh, three points I want to make. The first one, of course, isn't directed to you two. You guys are very well versed um, with the Giants. So this is more in line to some, when I hear some of the fans calling, talking about the offensive line. Now, granted, yes, there needs to be some improvement, tangible improvement. And I think we all get that. But I think the, the over-obsession and the complaining about the offensive line, in my opinion, is starting to get a little too much with the fans. If you look at the game on Saturday, now granted it was a preseason game. There was no, um, you know, stunts or nothing, no crazy blitzes that the Jets do. So I do, I do get that. But if I'm not mistaken, Thomas and Pitt were the high, two highest graded players on offense. Um, Hernandez, to me, in his new position at right guard, looked really good. Gates looked good. Um, the other guard we had him in uh, place of Lemieux didn't play well. But four of the five starters, in my opinion, played very well. We have Solder as a backup. Harrison has played in the league um, a few years, started for the Jets, I think, a few years, and has yeah. 
some versatility of playing guard. Um, I thought for the most part, now Perry did give up a sack, of course, and, you know, it wasn't a great play, but for the most part, I thought he played well. And I'm, I'm looking at, I'm listening to some of these fans like, all right, there's going to be cuts coming up, but who, who do these fans exactly want to play? The front office have said, and judge, they're committed to the five, the young group. So there's going to be a swing. And uh, we've signed Larson. So, to me, I think our line is going to be fine. Will there be a little up and down? Yes, but I think we're on the right path. And it's kind of getting annoying trying to listen. When I, when I listen, I don't listen every day, but sometimes fans just call in and just lambast the line. And it's like, you know, I, to me, it's just a little too much. Am I far off on that comment? Jason, it's really simple. Uh, when you have a young offensive line, if they don't get experience and they don't play together, they will never get better. The problem is there is so much impatience because over the last decade, the Giants have had plenty of losing seasons. And I think that this line, unfortunately, gets hit with heavy, 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 heavy criticism because people have compiled their impatience and their disgust and taken out their frustrations on these guys. Whether or not it's justified doesn't seem to matter because people want the instantaneous results and they no longer want to wait for these guys to actually prove themselves. Yeah, we need to see this group perform in the regular season, number one, against starting caliber defensive players. I think that you need to really wait for to see what this group could do. And they got off to a slow start in the preseason game, but they did regroup a lot of those players you mentioned. So it's a matter of it's still a relatively small sample size. And Matt Parrott only played 15% of the offensive snaps last season. So they got to get this guy on the field in any type of environment to know what exactly he could do. So I think that's important to note as well. What are your other two points, Jason, real quick, because we're up against the clock here in terms of wrapping up. Um, Two players that I thought played well, and I hope we find a way to keep one of them. To me, I thought Shelton, that big run stuff on fourth down, was amazing. I'm, I'm hoping he's our starting nose. I think and he will David, be. Yes. And then I'll make this quick. David says to me, now I know it's a short sample size, but to me, he needs to make the roster. I think he's going to be one of those players that we cut him. I think we're going to regret. And I don't know if anybody's mentioned his name, but to me, he sounds he, he reminds me of an old receiver used to have, Joe Jarevicius. I've been saying that now for a while. You're right. He is a Joe Jarevicius clone. He's been the star of training camp. But I think they're going to have to give him some opportunities on special teams to see if he can give them some value there as well. And, Jason, we appreciate the phone call. Appreciate some of the players that you listed. We actually brought them up on Monday show, too. The two guys that he named certainly highlights from that preseason game. That is going to do it for Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running on Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern as we'll look ahead to the first joint practice with the Cleveland Browns. A reminder, this is part of the Giants platform everywhere through Big Blue Kickoff Live. You can hear it on Giants.com slash podcasts. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.